We've been walking through a number of things that it means that when you're actually in a church, when you're part of it, what does it actually mean? What are the things that I need to be a part of and consider and do and be a part of connecting with? And this morning, I've got a question for you. If you're new to the Christian faith or haven't been walking with Jesus necessarily for a long time, maybe you're just checking things out, uh, you might not know the answer to this, and that's okay. Feel free to just don't feel any pressure to know the answer and have the perfect answer to this. But if you've been around the church for any particular length of time, especially here, uh, you'll certainly be able to help me with this answer. And I'll ask that question in a little bit. Our series today, we're focusing on what it means to be sending together. There's many ways that the church interfaces with the world and culture and things around us that we're actually engaging and sent into the world around us. We have also many biblical reasons for doing the things that we're doing. Uh, Here's a few things. We minister to the homeless and to the poor. Uh, In this city, we have shelters and food banks and creative housing alternatives that are sponsored and our ministries that are connected deeply into the faith community of Winnipeg. Uh, We welcome the stranger uh, in the sense that there are lots of people new coming to Winnipeg all the time from different places and places around the globe. Uh, We work to sponsor and to actively help immigrant families, uh, teaching EAL classes uh, up at our Panet campus right now, as a matter of fact. And uh, we trust in actually in the new year, we'll actually have EAL classes actually happening here on a Sunday morning. Uh, So there'll be more about that in the coming month. Uh, We work to open our homes to befriend, uh, to help people navigate our Canadian culture and ways of doing things. Other ways, we actually work for social justice. Uh, Each church in the city uh, may not necessarily interface with this all the time, but we do our part in working together in partnership with different indigenous groups to learn from one another, to heal, to reconcile, Uh, to discover a future that's beyond the uh, atrocities that were committed against the indigenous communities of Canada. Uh, For that's that's right here in Manitoba. Uh, We fight for clean drinking water in communities. Uh, We provide safe places for families. We provide safe places for people that are experiencing the traumas of abuse and addiction so that they can heal and they can grow. Uh, We speak out for conscience rights for health workers. Uh, A few weeks back, you'll remember we invited you to sign a letter uh, to your MLA uh, about Bill 34, uh, which is uh, about health conscience rights for health providers. Uh, The federal government said uh, we're allowing, we're opening the gates uh, to uh, assisted death and euthanasia. but each province is still responsible for how and who they want to mandate must actually participate in those things. And so our uh, provincial government has been active in saying we want to provide those conscience rights in law for our health providers. And I wanted to let you know, I heard from Andrew Micklefield, who's one of our provincial MLAs, uh, just this week, uh, and he said that the NDP... Uh, have actually said publicly that they are going to agree with Bill 34 and support it on the, on the floor of the provincial legislature. 
So that means that conscience rights are being heard, that our government is actually listening to the voice of people speaking up and speaking out in various faith communities within Winnipeg. Uh, We also care for the widow and for the orphan. Uh, We just had a belong summit uh, just a week week ago. Uh, A majority, you might not know this, but did you know a majority of foster care homes in Winnipeg are actually opened up by Christian families? Almost 90% as a matter of fact. We operate youth drop-ins. We operate, I mean, you just heard about Simeon and what he's doing at Youth for Christ. Ways to help kids stay off the streets, out of gangs, uh, get skills that they need to be able to break out of the cycles that they and their families may have been in. It's all part of, of just what we do as a Christian community here in the city. I found out something absolutely fascinating uh, last weekend at the Belong Summit, actually from Andrew Micklefield. Andrew had recently been briefed on a a, a study, a report, uh, that looked at the tangible effects of the church and other faith-based organizations on the society around them. Basically, we know anecdotally, meaning without proof, (laughs) without science in one sense, we know that If all the faith-based organizations in our city disappeared, that the cost to the government and social services would go up. We just know that. Uh, If there were no churches or organizations doing food banks, well, what's the government going to then do about that, and how are they going to pay for those things? The study looked to prove the positive investment or disprove the positive investment of the addition of churches and faith groups to society. And one part of that study looked at actually calculating the dollar amount that governments would become responsible for if the church and faith-based groups in a city disappeared. Here is one of the main results. In communities where the church is active, For every dollar, every one dollar invested into these faith-based organizations like us, they produce a tangible $4.77 worth of value in their community. Think about that. That means that for every dollar people are investing in their local churches and faith groups, the faith community produces and provides what it would normally cost the government nearly $5.00 to provide those same services on its own. What does that mean? (laughs) It means we matter. It means we make a massive, tangible difference in the city of Winnipeg and around. But here's something even more fascinating about this study. The study didn't look at what kinds of services and helps people in those organizations like us provide. They simply looked at what happened when faith-based organizations were either in a community or not in a community. In essence, they showed that just our presence in a community translates and creates a positive effect. Anybody know what Jesus was saying when we were to be salt and light? Salt and light were something that gets into the culture. Or something that, that actually helps to preserve it, helps to make value. It, it makes it taste better, too. <laughs> yeah. 
So now that you're feeling good about yourselves <laughs> and our contribution and the value that we bring to our community in so many different ways, here's the question I wanted to ask you. What is the primary mission of the church? Just to let you know, it's not any of the things that I just mentioned. What's the primary mission of the church? If you were listening to Simeon, he actually said it. I didn't coach him, by the way. <laughs> What's the primary mission of the church? Say that again. Introduce people to Jesus. Jesus gave us the answer just before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection. Matthew 28. The primary mission of the church is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we go and to invite people to receive his free gift of salvation and to follow him. That's been our mission for nearly 2,000 years. It hasn't changed. The, the church has had many different ways of doing this, some wonderful and some absolutely horrible. But that is our mission. Uh, to see others of faith uh, to see others find faith in Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Uh, as servants, as saints in the kingdom of God, we are, and until Christ's return, we are always going to be sent ones. Apostolos, sent ones. Again, that's our focus today. To be part of the church means that each of you here today that follow Jesus Christ are part of of the sending. Why? Because we belong to ascending God. If you're part of the church, it, it means that it means that you are on your journey of discovering how you fit and how you are connected, like Dave Perry preached last week about being connected, so that we can actually grow in our capacity to share Jesus with people. Ryan if you can back off a little something, there's a little ring that's there. So let's just quickly, we're going to look through something. This sending God of ours. We've got Abraham. Abraham was sent by God from his homeland to become a father of many nations. We move through time and God sent Moses to speak to Pharaoh and to free the Jewish people from their slavery in Egypt in order to give them a new land as their inheritance. God sent his prophets over hundreds of years to remind his chosen people how to worship and how to stay connected to him. God still kept pursuing his people, and God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth as a human being to seek and to save the lost. And as he accomplished and was victorious in his own mission on earth, Jesus, who is God, sent the early church, us, here today, to share the good news that the broken relationship between us and God has been repaired through Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection that all people can have their sin, their guilt, their shame washed away and receive a free gift of salvation and eternal life with God in heaven 
We have ascending God. It's his default. If you have your Bibles with you today, you've already seen the scripture passage up there a little while ago, but open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. In verses 10 to 17, uh, Paul teaches a, a, a fairly well known passage about putting on the whole armor of God, which actually helps us to take a stand and to battle against the devil's schemes. Paul goes on in this passage to encourage God's people to be strong in prayer and their ability to persevere. Uh, we'll actually be preaching on prayer in a couple of weeks. But then he sneaks something in right before he finishes writing this letter. I want us to read verses 18 to 20. It may look different than your version. Uh, simply because I usually read out of the ESV, but today I'm actually reading out of the Good News Bible because I liked how it phrased this. This is Paul speaking. Do all this, so meaning the whole armor of God, battling and all that kind of stuff, being ready for that. Do all this in prayer, asking God for help. Pray on every occasion as the Spirit leads. For this reason, keep alert and never give up. Pray always for God's people. And pray also for me, that God will give me a message when I'm ready to speak so that I may speak boldly and make known the gospel's secret. For the sake of the gospel, I am an ambassador, though now I'm in prison. Pray that I may be bold in speaking about the gospel as I should. Paul recognized that we live in a spiritual battle zone. We aren't fighting against our spouse, our kids, our parents, our bosses, our teachers, or the, or the government for that matter. We are battling against the various spiritual authorities, structures, and systems that the devil loves to use to short-circuit God's plans in the supernatural realm. Those are the things we actually push against and what we fight against in prayer. That's why Paul taught the Ephesians what kind of spiritual armor to wear for protection. If you're in a spiritual battle, you need spiritual armor. Right? The AK-47 that we have in the natural isn't going to cut it, is it? There's something spiritual that we need to put on. There's tools, powerful things that God's actually given us. Uh, ways to protect us, but also how to fight using God's word. The, the sword of the spirit, the sword that we have to destroy the works of the enemy. Primarily, our warfare is done on our knees in prayer. Uh, it's what our prayer summits do when we gather together just this past Thursday, when we pray together and we see heaven move. <laughs> uh, it's what advances the cause of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It actually makes room for the gospel to take root in people's lives. So Paul tells the church, stay alert. Never give up. Keep on praying, folks. Like I mentioned, in a couple weeks we'll be praying into this. Actually, Brian Creary, Pastor Brian Creary from Sanctuary House of Prayer is going to be here in a couple weeks to speak to us about what it means to be a people of prayer. So I encourage you, don't miss out on that. Uh, but for today, I want to focus on what Paul asked for in verse 19, because he knew how important 
his partnership was with fellow believers, he knew that that would continue to be the relationship that the church would be a part of in him and them being sent. So Paul says, again, I'll read in verse 19, pray also for me that God will give me a message. It's a little bit of context. Paul was in prison writing this letter to the Ephesian church. And he ends this letter by telling them, you know what, I'm going to be, here's, here's one of those words that people look at at the end of Ephesians and they go, how on earth do you say that name? Uh, he, here's, and here's, a, I just said this this morning to the, the band, they were working through something. I said, all you have to do with a, a Bible name is say it loudly and forcefully and people will think that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> In this case, uh, Paul told them at the end of this letter, a few verses down, that he's going to be sending Tychicus to let them know how he's doing in jail. Uh, But he wants the church to pray that when an opportunity comes to share the gospel while he's in jail, that he won't hold back, but boldly share the gospel of Jesus Christ and trust the Holy Spirit to actually fill his mouth with the right words that will actually help people to recognize and respond to the invitation that he gives them to follow Jesus. Paul wanted them to pray for him. It was a partnership. It was ascending. And I have some observations to make this morning that I trust will help each of us. The first is this. All of them are going to be really simple phrases. They won't rock your world, but hopefully they rock your heart this morning. We have been sent. I've already said that. We've been sent no matter where we are. No matter where you are. Paul recognized that he was sent no matter where he was. We see that throughout his journey in Scripture. If you were in prison tomorrow and the cell slammed shut, would your first thought be, well, what an exciting opportunity for me to share the gospel. (laughs) Right? Right? For most of us, we'd have other things on our minds, wouldn't we? But for Paul, his mission didn't stop or get somehow put on hold or the backbench because of his location or his situation. Steel bars might have been a physical barrier, but they were not a barrier to the gospel moving or being shared. In a sense, sense he literally had a captive audience, right? (laughs) Where are they going to (coughs) go? I want to bring that moment in Paul's life into our present today. Some of you know Aken Yell uh, at our Panet Road congregation. Aken is a super tall Denka man. Uh, he's, uh, that's his tribe from the Sudan. Uh, and he's a strong man. He's a strong Christian man, spiritual leader. Uh, and he's proud of his Sudanese heritage uh, coming from Africa. Uh, if he had stayed in the Sudan... Uh, chances are he would have been killed like many of his brothers and sisters in some of the armed conflicts, or uh, he would have been in line to become a chief amongst his people and the tribe that's there. Um, But he found his way to India as part of his journey to Canada. And while he was there, he was falsely accused of a crime, and he was sent to prison. 
Uh, in a sense, he's kind of like Joseph in the Old Testament, where he found himself alone in jail to, through no fault of his own. And, and instead of expressing self-pity and anger at God for allowing this injustice to occur in his life, Ken decided to accept that he couldn't control this situation. And he asked God, what should I do? What should I do while I'm here? And while Ken was in prison, he led hundreds of men, guards included, to Jesus. By the time his accuser, thankfully, uh, actually withdrew the accusation that had placed him in jail, a church had already been formed in the prison. Uh, and he was their pastor. <laughs> By the time he was released, there were other people who continued the work there. And they led other people to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Think about yourself. What would, have you, what would you have done in Aken's shoes? See, Paul built the same way. He recognized that no matter where he was, he was one that was sent as an ambassador of Christ. Friends, our, our circumstances are not an obstacle to our mission. Did you hear that? Our circumstances are not an obstacle to our mission. God always has a plan, and that plan includes you. It includes us together. Most of us will never be sent to jail. Hallelujah. <laughs> but maybe you feel stuck. Perhaps one of the ways to get unstuck is actually a perspective change. Do you see, do you see life like this? Or have you seen things from God's perspective like this? To see a bigger picture. Ask the Lord, Lord, help me to see outside of my situation and to see things from your perspective. Maybe what you'll see is actually the path to your next adventure. Maybe the choices that you've made have landed you where you are. Maybe, or maybe you got caught in the crossfire of, uh, you know, you're a casualty of the war that happens in life. But as a follower of Christ, no matter where we find ourselves, Paul says in verse 20, we have been sent as Christ's ambassadors to let people know the good news. You don't have to do it on your own, though. Paul didn't. Paul asked his brothers and sisters to help him. Folks, we're all in this together. It isn't just some lone wolf out there doing his own thing. It's us together advancing the cause of Jesus Christ. The second observation is we're compelled to share the gospel. It should actually be our default. Some people will say to me, yeah, but Aaron, not, being an evangelist isn't really my gifting. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the Billy Grahams of the world that have these huge ministries where people come to Christ that way. No, I'm talking about you in your own life, in your own spheres of influence. Let, let me expand on this. For Paul, aside from loving Jesus personally himself, this vertical relationship that he had with the Lord, 
Seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ was the most important thing of eternal value that any human being can participate in. It's the most valuable thing. Paul was compelled to share the gospel by default. Now, he may have been a little more out there than most of us would feel comfortable being, but you have your own context. Not many of us have had a Damascus Road experience like Paul did with Jesus, where he radically turned his life over to Jesus. But you don't have to experience that sort of thing in order to be used or sent by God. All you need is your own testimony of what Jesus has done for you. There were two young ladies up here last Sunday who shared their testimonies before they got baptized. It's wonderful. They were simple, but they were amazing experiences that each of them had with Jesus. And the body was lifted up and encouraged through that, through their act of faith before the Lord. For one of them who was baptized, her story was of two young girls who happened to be my daughters, who answered simply her questions about, do you know who God is? Do you believe in God? And they simply said, oh yeah, yeah, we do. He's Jesus. Do you know him? No. Well, hey, let's tell you, let, let us tell you about him. And would you like to pray to ask Jesus to come into your life? Yeah, I would. And she knew right from that moment, sitting beside that little pond in our neighborhood, that Jesus had saved her. And joy welled up inside of her. And she just got baptized last Sunday. She has her own testimony now. (laughs) She has her own influence in one sense that's spreading into her spheres that she's got in her life. And that's the way the gospel works. It's not always easy. And sometimes it's a fearful thing to risk sharing your faith with someone else, whatever that might look like, whether in words or deeds or actions. In some parts of the world, it's actually illegal to share your faith. It's actually punishable by death. So why do people still share about Jesus in those places? (laughs) Why do they do it, knowing the risks? It's because they have found truth. They have found truth in a person. They have experienced the amazing love of Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they want to help spread the word. They don't want anybody to spend an eternity without Christ. They are compelled to go. There's something driving them. Let's take a temperature check here in the room. Not a physical one, but I'm going to state something very matter-of-factly. And I want you to be honest and give yourself a score from 1 to 10, okay? Uh, You don't have to tell anybody your answer. I'm not going to get you to raise your hands in response. I just want you to give yourself an honest assessment and take a temperature check of a very specific area of your life. On a scale of 1 to 10, how concerned are you that without knowing and accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior, there are lost people around you and in your life, who without him will spend an eternity without God in hell. It's pretty matter of fact. How concerned are you? Because this is what's actually at stake 
in case any of us have forgotten or you haven't thought about that in a while. Just take a moment and be honest with yourself. Not the answer you want to be, but the answer you know it is. Okay? This morning, I'm not here to judge, and I'm not even here to praise you for where you're at on that scale. I just want you to be truthful and honest between yourself and the Lord. All right? For some of you, you may need to pray a very simple but risky and powerful prayer. Jesus, would you show me how lost the lost really are? Why? (laughs) Well, because why would we ever go looking for lost people if we don't truly believe or understand that they're lost? We actually need a revelation. We need the light to go on. We need the light switch to get flipped and the light to enter this particular room. This revelation of that lost people are actually really lost. And until we see that, we won't actually have a genuine desire to actually go and to be sent. For others, there might be fear or apathy for that matter, and those things might be stronger than the love that you have for your neighbor. You do care, but there's things that are holding you back. Well, ask Jesus, Jesus, would you fill me with your love for lost people? And would you help me to deal with these fears that I have, these obstacles that keep me from sharing? See, God uses people that are willing and available. You know, if you will step out past your comfort zone and your fears and simply tell him, tell Jesus you're available, he will bring you an opportunity to serve him or to share your faith with somebody. He will. I guarantee it. Um, Don't worry if you fall flat on your face. Keep going. Keep doing it. You know, wherever you're at on this particular scale, ask Jesus how he wants to help you grow in your love for lost people. And then be obedient and fearless with what he asks you to do. Are you hearing me, church? If you've never personally led somebody to the Lord, don't worry about the result. Immediately people can feel like, oh, I've totally failed. It's not a contest to see how many fish you can catch. (laughs) But ask Jesus to help you to become someone who is ready to be used and is trusted by Jesus to invite people to follow him. If you don't know how to do that, then ask for help. We're here as a body to help one another. If you don't have the tools in your toolbox to be able to do those things or the words to say, there's lots of resources available for you to learn and grow in that. God can use whoever he likes. (laughs) But in one sense, if you're not ready to help, why would he bring someone to you so precious to him if you're just going to let them swim by? If you, you wonder, how come I've never had these opportunities? Well, are you available? Have you said yes? Jesus wants you to be a skilled fisherman. That's part of our job as a disciple. It's not just the guy up front. It's not just the guy on TV. It's not just the skilled people who they know all the answers to things somehow. No, it's us. It's each of us sitting here today. Jesus calls his disciples and said, Come on, I'm going to teach you to do what? Be fishers of men. 
right? The third thing is the local church, that's us here. The local church is God's plan. It's plan A, it's plan one, it's plan alpha, and there is no plan B. We're the plan. It's the local church is the vehicle to get this job done. Paul believed in the power of the local church. He sent a whole bunch of letters throughout the New Testament period uh, to, to, to local churches in a city. I believe in that too. I believe in the power of this local church as part of Gateway, as part of the church of Winnipeg. Paul knew it was only through the power of God and his partnership, meaning Paul's partnership with the church, that the mission would keep continuing. Paul may have been looking for, may have been looking for opportunities to share the gospel in prison, but Paul knew that the Ephesian church was doing the work as well, where they were, out on the streets, ministering Christ's love to people that they were coming into contact with, in their homes, at their workplace, wherever. We all have a part to play. We're each a piece of the puzzle in helping someone on their journey towards Jesus. You may never be the person, maybe, that ever helps pray that life-altering prayer in their life. But you do have a vital role in playing your part on their journey towards receiving Jesus. What's your part? Are you doing that? Where's the temperature in your heart? There's, <clears throat> the bottom line I want you to hear is this. You're sent, I'm sent, we are all sent together as the church to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to a hurting and broken world around us. We are the plan. I think we know this in our heads, but we don't always know how this translates into our daily living. How do we partner together? Well, we do things Here's some overt ways that we do it. Uh, we partner with sending people like the Grenniers and the Taylors and the Stories and our whole list of global workers uh, that we have sent across the globe to help fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave us. Uh, you may never, never be someone who does something like th- those folks, but you don't have to. What, what's Jesus calling you to be? How can you fit as a puzzle piece in partnering with what God's already doing? You're part of the sending. We partner with people right here in this city to ministering to people's practical and spiritual needs. I mean, you just, Simeon, uh, he, more than what he even expressed today, he has a significant sense of calling to the north end of Winnipeg. It's a burden. It's on his heart. He's compelled to be there. You've got uh, Ruth. I'll embarrass you, Ruth. You've got you as well as a few other people from Gateway that regularly connect with new immigrant families at the Chai Immigrant Center. Uh, People who are new to Winnipeg, sharing the love of Jesus with them, conversations, uh, connecting with churches across the city. Uh, some powerful things happening there. You know, if you, if you come to that Gateway Family Forum that Norm talked about on November 16th, you'll see many of the ways on paper that, that we help minister to this city and beyond. You know, you might just see a, a line item in a budget, but that line item actually represents real gospel work. It represents real people doing real gospel work. 
You know, maybe you're a generous giver and contribute financially to those things. Maybe you're a prayer who intercedes. Maybe you're an encourager who loves to regularly connect with people and to, especially those who are on the front lines, to actually encourage them in the work that they're doing, practically and in prayer and however else. But there's lots of hidden ways, less visible ways that we partner together as sent ones. Norm honored our children's ministry this morning in prayer. Did you know that they pray for your kids to come to know Jesus? That's something that they do regularly. They also teach them about Jesus and who he is and how our kids can even share his love with their friends. They actually want to be a part of partnering together with you as families here, as a church. Um, In your cell groups, In your cell groups, if you're connected in one, you pray and support one another in your daily living. Um, You're on the front lines, in a sense, of encouraging each other and welcoming in those who've come to faith in Christ as a result of the relationships that you have. And maybe in a hidden way, perhaps even my sermon today sparks something in you to take a risk or to step through an open door of opportunity that God gives to you at your work, or maybe on a university campus, to have a Christ-centered conversation about life and faith with a coworker, a friend, or a fellow student. You see, you're not unlike Paul. People have put Paul way up here, but you're not unlike Paul. If you see yourself as being sent by God with a message of hope to share with people, that's it. Thankfully, you may never be in jail, but God has appointments for you in other places. You are an ambassador of Jesus there too. You know, is it possible that Paul's request to the Ephesian church that we read here today um, that he was praying because he needed their help to partner and assist him, that that might actually become your prayer today as we work together as ambassadors, as we work together to accomplish the mission that we've been given. You know, if you're not satisfied with the number that you gave yourself this morning and you want to grow, ask the Lord to help you change your thoughts and your attitudes to become like Christ's. That's what Paul did. This is the prayer. And pray for me that God will give me a message when I'm ready to speak so that I may speak boldly and make known the gospel's secret. For the sake of the gospel, I am an ambassador. Pray that I may be bold in speaking about the gospel as I should. Can I pray for us today? Heavenly Father, we, we know these things. But Lord, I invite you by your Holy Spirit to continue helping us to grow in this area of being sent. Lord, thank you for the many testimonies that are here in this room today that I know of people who regularly 
share and are compelled to share their faith with the people in their lives. Lord, it's my simple prayer today that you would move us along in our journey as individuals, but also together as a church. Lord, we want to be skilled fishermen. We want to be a winsome people that are skilled at casting the net into the water and seeing loved ones, people we don't even know, come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we've already been thinking about and worshiping about and talking about this morning, Lord, you are ascending God who loves to bring people to yourself. We know and have already prayed for people in our lives that we know need your grace to turn so that they would find you and find peace and wholeness with you. Lord, would you dig us up out of our comfortableness? Would you help us with our apathy uh, and even our complacency at times? Lord, would you help us to move even beyond our busyness and our schedules to make room for real relationships with people? Lord, thank you that we don't do this by ourselves. We not only do it together, but you have actually promised to help us. So Lord, we look to you. Give us your perspective and help us to be ascending people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.